There it is. Happy Friday, everybody. Surprise! We're on a Friday. I know this doesn't usually happen, but, uh, you know, we so long ago that we're going to do this today, and we're going to be talking about establishing your identity. So this is going to be a fun one. Let's dive in. Practicing polyamory. Real-life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life, flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right, all right, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this beautiful Friday. Uh, Friday morning here in San Diego, Friday afternoon in New York where our guest is. But before we jump in and chat to our guest, I want to quickly remind everybody to please... Follow us on all our social medias. Everywhere that you can find us is going to be at Practicing Poly A. And if you are listening uh, on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, any of those podcast apps, please subscribe, leave a review. Uh, we're really looking for those reviews so we can show up higher on those search results and continue to provide this resource for our community. If you want to support the show, there's a really easy way that you can do it. You're already paying for your insurance. Why not work with a polyamper insurance professional? That's this guy. Uh, send me a DM on your favorite social media, at Practicing Poly A. Ask me about your malpractice uh, or errors and emissions insurance. Would love to help you out. And as always, I want to remind all of you, if you are listening to this podcast, you are a welcome guest to be on the show. If are actively polyamorous, polyamorous, or a professional serving the polyamorous community, I want to hear your story. If you are disabled, BIPOC, pan, bi, demi, gay, straight, sex worker, kinkster, queer, lesbian, trans, NB, arrow, ace, whatever it is, we want to hear your story. The more stories we hear, the more the world learns about us, the more representation we have, the better we can serve our community. So go to practicingpolyamory.com, sign up today. All right, that's my spiel. And now, ladies and gentlemen, best part of the show, let's introduce our guest. Our guest today has been a member and a mentor in New York City's BDSM and LGBTQ community well over a decade, and she provides they provide affirming psychotherapy for individuals, couples, multi-partner relationships, plus poly and leather families. They are a renowned expert in alternative sexualities, and they've written scores of published articles and studies for the biggest, biggest names in media, including New York Post, GQ Magazine, Daily Beast, CNN Health, Playboy, Men's Health, Vice, and Newsweek. Now, as a white anti-therapist, anti-racist therapist, they create space for conversations that cultivate positive racial and inter intersectional identities. They work with people across the spectrum of power role identification, gender expression, and sexual orientation, as well as those who are unsure of or evolving through identifications. So I'm super excited to dive into this topic of identity with our guest today. So without further ado, joining us today out of the Big Apple, welcome to the show, Dulcinea Pitagora. <laughs> Throw you off a little bit with that music. I told you we're here to have a good time. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me and for having me on Friday. 
Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for joining me. You know, it's your time that's valuable. I appreciate you making some time uh, for for the show, for uh, for us, for me, for the community. Tell me uh, first, Dr. Dulcinea, uh, a little bit about yourself, kind of where you come from, where you've come up and uh, a little bit about your polyam journey and what got you where you are today. Just your history. (laughs) <laughs> just everything. Yeah, just, right. you know, tell me your whole life story in two minutes. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, don't go, that, don't, don't go that far back. Just, you know. I mean, so I'm I'm a therapist and a kink therapist. I practice in New York City, uh, as you already mentioned, all of that stuff. Um, I've been here, uh, let's see, it's going to be 18 years, maybe, that I've been in New York City. Um and I'm an out part of all of these different communities that you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of unusual for a therapist. I have some colleagues. I have one colleague, I think, that is, you know, as out as I am about being, you know, about different identities, being kinky, being queer, being um, in the trans um, gender nonconforming identity. Mm-hmm. Um, but most therapists are, are pretty sort of... Um, they don't disclose a lot and, mm-hmm. you know, for their own reasons and that's fine. But I've made a choice to, to be a little bit more out and open uh, because I want to model that for my communities. And I also want people to know that they can, um, I'm easier to find that way too. They can, <laughs> you know, sometimes people are like, oh, I came to you specifically because of that. Um, so that's what I've been working on during my, um, you know, transition to a therapist. I used to be a sex worker. Um, and so I'm also out as that former sex worker. So when I transitioned that career, I just made a decision to be out about everything. Um, within reason, you know, I don't get in too much into too detail, too much detail about my personal life in the public, but I am out about my, you know, because really it's a matter of consent for me, um, in terms of like, I don't like to speak on other people's behalf. I have, um, I do have multiple partners, uh, multiple long-term partners. Um, I practice non-hierarchical poly. Um, not that you asked, but that might've been a thing. I don't even actually remember all the things you asked. You asked many that's things. Okay. That, that's okay. I'm that's just okay. saying whatever, some things that come to mind. So that's, that's perfect. Here in my and... office on casual Friday, you can see I usually wear, I, I like to wear a tie when I'm in my office, but today I, it's casual Friday. So casual Friday. You know, we're here on a Friday. We're just going to have a good time and chit chat a little bit. Don't worry too much about it. Um, When you're talking about being out as all of these different things, I imagine as a professional, as a uh, therapist, um, you know, there's still, there's going to be stigma. There's a lot of things that are attached to these different identities that uh, whether we are therapists or attorneys or doctors or business owners, you know, all of these uh, different professions can carry a sort of uh, stigma, so to speak, that, you know, certain people will see this about us and be like, "Mm, that's not the type of person that I want to work with. Or worse, it can actually cause um, people to lose their jobs. There aren't, uh, for, for the polyam, aspect of it there aren't uh legal protections there are for other parts of the uh identity and um i guess that's that's kind of where the conversation is going is where we've been you are a an expert about identities is that right 
Yeah, identities, relationships, sexuality, gender. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, tell me a little bit about about the work, the research that you've done um, uh, within that identity, because that's definitely something I think that people struggle with a lot when it comes to even coming out. Mm, let me rephrase, even uh, announcing publicly that they are polyamorous. I had this conversation with people online. Uh, some are not appreciative of people using the term coming out for polyamory. Um, and so, you know, I, I, you know what, I, I, can, I can respect that. Anyway, so announcing publicly that we are polyamorous, that's, that's one part of our identity. And of course, you know, um, transitioning if you are uh, transgender and, uh, you know, or gender nonconforming, queer, all of these different things are all different parts of identities. And that's, it sounds like from what I've, from what I've gathered from uh, just a little bit of research that I did, that is kind of your passion. Can you tell me more about why that's your passion project, why that is, uh, or what it is about that, that you want to speak to the community about? Sure. Well, I think one of the biggest issues that people will bring up when they're coming into my office uh, is concern that um, concern about being treated poorly or being judged for who they are. And also, you know, we've all, you know, we're all socialized to believe like there's a correct way to be in relationships with identity. And those are really constraining. Um, when we're little kids, we just absorb that. We don't know any better. Our brains are just doing, we're doing the best we can. And we're told like, you know, through very explicitly and then also just insidiously in messaging, you know, all around us hmm. that here's the, the appropriate or proper way to behave. And so then as we develop into adulthood and we realize like, oh, actually, I feel like I, I'm non-monogamous, like this feels right to me or whatever the other identity, you know. And for some mm -hmm. people, I, it's not as much about identity, it's more about behavior or practice or whatever, but I really tend to think that you know, a lot of it is about identity um, because we're really constrained and then as children and then also as adults. So then uh, coming into adulthood, uh, it can, there's kind of this inner conflict for a lot of people and at least a lot of people that uh, that come to therapy with me, um, you know, and, and also I think a lot of people that don't come to therapy, there's inner conflict hmm. uh, because we're doing something that's kind of against the grain, against kind of the mainstream understanding of like what right. we feel like we're supposed, you know, what we're told we're supposed to be mm -hmm. in relationship or what relationships are supposed to look like. So a lot of conversations are around, um, you know, it's totally fine to do like as long as you're, um, with your partners and it's all, you know, adults who are consenting to things are, you get to do what they want with each other. Right. And so right, they yeah. can have as many partners as they want. Um, you know, there, maybe you can't marry as many people as you want right now that could mm -hmm. change in the future. I don't know. But, um, you know, because that's, there are legal restrictions, but in terms of other things, um, you know, we get to decide what we want to do with other consenting partners. Absolutely. Yes. And one of the things that you were talking about there was, um, was that, it, well, you, 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 you almost questioned whether it was an identity and I agree with you that it absolutely is. Um, and I, I, one of the reasons why I say that is for me, in my experience, you know, I definitely grew up with, uh, 
monogamous parents, you know, and monogamous everything all around me. It wasn't until about five, five or six years ago, probably, yeah, probably around six years ago uh, that I actually heard the term polyamory and started and and started even thinking in terms of non-monogamy at all um it was it put me in a position where if i was going to follow this path it was and is now part of my identity uh to me it's not a sexual orientation but it is part of my identity it's part of what makes me you know, who I am. But, you know, the thing about it is that it's not generally widely accepted in our society. And uh, one of the comes to mind is the societal trauma, right? There's, there's backlash when we come out as queer or or uh, gay or, you know, any of these things, or even as if we announce publicly again, that we are polyamorous, you know, any of these things uh, creates a, a sense of, of reaction, a, a reaction from the people around us. And we have to internalize these reactions and learn how to deal with them. I'm sure that it's very, case specific to the person but what are some things that you teach or maybe some things that you did in your own personal life that helped you to come to terms with these different parts of your identity yeah uh, i think in terms of identity and when i say that you know when i kind of use the term identity flexibly or, or say like maybe it is maybe it isn't uh, it's my tendency to agree with whoever is saying it's their identity or it's not. Like, I'm not mm -hmm. going to tell somebody who says to me, um, it's it's not actually my identity. It's this behavior or this whatever. It's a thing I'm doing. I'm not going to argue with them because people self-identify and uh, it's not on, like, it's in a, it would be inappropriate for me to say, like, no, let me tell you what your identity is. Like, that's not how identity <laughs> works, right? So we, we decide our own. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, and so that is why, but, but I agree, like for me, it is, an, it is part of my identity. Um, it feels, and when I say it's part of my identity, I, I say that because it feels like a core aspect of who I am and who, you know, the way that I need to live my life to mm -hmm. its fullest expression, to my most comfort and like satisfaction and the, the, you know, the, what makes me happy. And, and it's, it's, it's integral, like it's an important part of my life. So maybe for other people, it's they can take it or leave it, or it depends on the partner, then maybe that's not part of their identity. Again, it, it's up to them. They, they tell me and I agree and that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, but then in terms of, you know, how to grapple with, you know, public backlash or societal, maybe not even public, but maybe just smaller circles, like friends, family, like people that you went to school with, whatever, people you work with, um, what the the number one thing and this goes for me too like the way that i handled that and uh also what i'd say to clients is finding social support and this really goes for any any of those aspects of our identity that might not be the statistical the statistical norm when i reference norms or 
normality. I like to think of it in terms of statistics because that's the only one that other not like there's no such thing as like other normal. It's so it's such a like a, a word that can mean anything, right? And so I usually think statistically uh, norms. Bell so, curve, right? Sorry, I said bell curve, right? Yeah, exactly. And and also if you're not in that middle big part it's fine. Like the, there's no like better or worse or anything. It's just like, these are numbers and it's just, you know, um, mm -hmm. anyway, but, but so social support tends to be really important. And I rank that really high along with, you know, because that's what helps us to realize like, Oh, there are other people. We don't feel so isolated. Um, there are other people doing similar things, like-minded people. And so we can, we can see like, Oh, those people are good people too. Like I must be okay. You know, because, we're taught, we're taught that we're not okay if we're not doing like what the statistical norm, uh, you know, is doing in terms of behavior. But that's not true that, you know, um, some people are, some people aren't for all sorts of different reasons, but that's got nothing to do with like the actual behavior. So, um, you know, finding other people to support or to talk to, to commiserate with, to just be open with and to be validated by um, is super important. Um, personally, I, I, have always sought that out. I've never really fit into any one particular community, like in terms of mainstream identities. And it took me a long time to to um, figure out what was going on. But early on, I gravitated towards you know the people that were like me and the different like in the sex work communities and like the non-straight community. You know, it took a long time. And even like you said, like you found language only in the last few years or like five six years ago for what probably was with you the whole time, but mm -hmm. you know, we only know when we find out that language, when we find community, basically, like then we, we can like think about, oh, wow, yeah, that resonates with me. And then we can learn more about ourselves and how to get support, how to give support. So that's what makes it can make a really huge difference. Definitely. When, when you talk about uh, the community and the language, you know, there's, there's this, um, battle that that I keep thinking of um, there's like one side of the coin that's like don't label me you know don't put labels on me we don't want to label anything and then there's the other side that's like no no no, no. actually I'm I'm pansexual demisexual sapiosexual all these different you know things right and all in polyamorous and queer and you know bi like like I'm I'm all of these things and put like as many labels on me as I can because I'm finding the language. Um, and I think it's something that is, well, Thor said it best, right? Oh, don't mind me, I'm a big Marvel nerd. Uh, but uh, all words are made up, right? So, so we yeah. keep finding words to describe these different parts of ourselves. Like I, I didn't hear that word demisexual until probably three or four years ago. Um, uh, compersion is a word that's not even in the dictionary yet, but that's very specific to, to the polyamorous or non-monogamous community. Um, so, so we've got all of these, uh, all of these words. And, you know, that's, that's the thing that I kind of wanted to dive into. Like how important is it? Uh, maybe this is something that you could speak to from your own perspective and from your own uh, experience and not necessarily from, you know, anybody else. Um, but how important is it to find those descriptors that you identify with? Well, 
So you're saying to say for myself, but like, but my, my initial, my instinctual answer is to say like, it, it really depends on the person, how important mm-hmm. it is. So for me, um, and, and also the thing about language is I totally agree with you that it's like, these are made up words. Um, we agree it, you know, as, as a society, like we're going to all think of words, um, in a specific way, but when I'm in therapy with people and also in my own life, I try to say like, you know, I'm using this word and here's what I mean by that. I don't mm-hmm. care what word it is, if it's like poly or if it's monogamy, um, I don't use that word a lot in my life, but you know, with, with clients, you know, who are monogamous, I'll say like, well, what is, what is your, can you describe or define your monogamy for me? And like, that's something that like kind of blows their mind. Cause they're like, what do you mean? Like, we know what monogamy is. I'm like, do we, what is it? And then they try to, you know, they'll define it. they're like, oh, this is really interesting. Like what in practice it is. And so for myself, I try to do the same thing. Um, I feel like labels or descriptors or, um, you know, identities and that with specific language for that are really most useful in thinking through who we are to ourselves, but really in communicating with other people so that we can find like-minded people. But even if we're meeting, you know, meeting up with or meeting people that are using the same language, have the same identities, I think it's really important to describe what you mean by that to people uh, that you're getting to know, especially new people or people you've known for a long time, because the same word can mean just a vastly different thing to a different person. So I think it's really important to get into the nitty gritty of, you know, the nuance of what language and labels can mean to you. Um, I don't know if I, I, you asked me to say something specifically about myself and I don't know if I did. No, I, th- I think you did. I think you did it. And and you're absolutely right. Also, that it really does depend on the person. Um, you know, pronouns is another thing. Like w- before the show, uh, you made sure to add your pronouns because that's something that is important to you. I haven't done that to mine, but the fact that you did it to yours, I'm over here thinking, oh, shoot, I should do that because it's, it's something that, uh, you know, a lot of people that are uh, that are allies, you know, if we want to consider ourselves allies, I see that happening more and more and more, whether it's on our social media profiles or, you know, something like this where where I should have, you know, my pronouns listed there so that other people will uh, feel comfortable. It's it's the default, right, is you see a person and you just like, that's a he, that's a she, right? And and people don't necessarily think of of anything else but you know these are things that uh, are definitely becoming more and more important uh in our society um you have been i don't know you you've, you've been fighting that battle i should say you know that, that's the best way that i can that i can describe it uh for a long time can you tell me a little bit about your experience like when you when you started compared to where that space is now just the the acceptability like when you first came out in other words was it or when you first told people hey my pronouns are they them was it a struggle to get them to uh accept that and now has that changed Hmm. oh for in terms of pronouns um no i mean i'm i've gotten so i'm I turned 50 last year, which is, you know, very, very pleased with myself about, uh, but, uh, what? never would have guessed. Yeah. That's why I like to say it. But like, you know, I only <laughs> say that because I have learned 
through over decades how to surround myself with people that I feel really good around and that I feel supported by. And so it, you know, I started using um, they them pronouns only a few years ago. Um, before that, I was using I was using feminine pronouns. I'm assigned female at birth, and so uh, or AFAB as as uh, sometimes mm-hmm. people say, but not everybody says that. Um, and so I used to use feminine pronouns and also neutral pronouns. I've been gender fluid for a very long time, but only have kind of really honestly since um, retiring from sex work several years ago, started defeminizing myself because it was an option. And I, before I didn't feel like it was an option because I wanted to be a successful sex worker. So I leaned into like the hyper feminine drag, which was fun, but you know, it was a thing I was doing on purpose. And so now I don't have to do that. So I can do whatever I want with myself. So I'm doing like whatever body mods I feel like. And so then, you know, at that point, my journey, it was to be like, oh, you know what now, like I'm definitely, it was actually after I got top surgery, I'm like, you know, that I said, like, I would really like, you know, now I'm now I'm using they, them pronouns. And I would tell people, I texted some people, like some people I just told and, and other people I didn't tell. And like they, some people were already doing it, which is interesting. Like sometimes hmm. people, you know, pick things up. Um, but it, so it wasn't actually that difficult for me internally. Maybe it was because I was thinking like, you know, there's all this kind of introspection and there's like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, sometimes there can be this question of like, do I want, am I being a burden to my friends and, and family by saying this, like they're going to have to do some extra thought. And then, but the reality is, it's like people that care about you and love you want you to feel good. And so if that's, if they can do something, even if it's hard for them, and even if they make mistakes, typically they're, they're willing to do the work. If they're not, then I would there's some work that needs to be done in that relationship. It's not about the pronouns. It's about something else, right. um, you know, but yeah, in terms of, you know, being open about my various identities, I am typically surrounded by the people in my communities already. And so it's just like, not even a thing really. Um, early on, i found myself gravitating toward specific groups of people, specific kinds of friends. And I didn't know that I was doing that, but I was intuitively doing that the same thing. So it was just now I do it very intentionally where before it was kind of like hit or miss. And I wasn't sure what I was doing in my twenties. But not, you know, and not to say like in your twenties, you can't know what you're doing. Like personally, I had my twenties were really challenging. And so uh, other people, especially with um, internet communities these days that I didn't really have in my Mm -hmm. 20s. I was going to say that. That helps a lot because then you get the language, you get community and that people like can go much, you know, have much more understanding early on um, than than I did. You know, maybe I had their peers in their 20s that were further along than I was. Whatever. We're all different. We're dealing with different stuff. (laughs) We we are. And we're we're also living now in the information age. Like you said, we we have access to the internet. We have the ability to find community. uh, And we don't have to physically go out to find that community. We can be sitting right here where we are uh, or carrying, you know, this bad boy around with us and, you know, it's it's in our ears, it's in our faces, it's it's everywhere that we're looking that we're able to find whatever it is that we're looking for. You know, whether we're looking for for support or looking for uh, for the community or, or all these different things, whatever it is that we want to find, we can find it, and that's definitely a huge difference. So, um, lucky 
Gen Z, right? Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's absolutely true. I mean, and, and overall, I, I think it's important to 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 vocalize that not everybody has access. Like, you know, not everybody has right. um, a electronic device or um, even internet necessarily. So there's still a lot of people that that I feel like, you know, very true. That just don't have access, unfortunately. That that probably would help them a lot. Um, so that makes it harder. But overall, statistically, again, um, I would say that yeah, majority of people do, and it's that it's been really helpful for people getting. Yeah, support. no, you're absolutely right. And again, you know, that's one of those. Oh shoot, check my privilege. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's so easy to do that, but it's 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 a good thing to think about. Definitely, definitely. Um, but there's a few minutes left here. I want to uh, kind of ask you um, about anything that I might have missed, basically. You know, we've been having some pretty good conversation here. Uh, and, you know, I, I want to give you the floor to kind of talk about something that maybe is on your heart talking about, you know, on, on the subject that we've been on today. Uh, maybe anything that I just forgot to ask, didn't ask, you wish asked, uh, and just anything that you'd want to leave for the community. I, um, there's, we could talk for hours, obviously, about um, any of these topics and, and, you know, get into detail. But what I, the thing that I feel that feels really important to me to say is that, um, you know, we get to create our own story um, and we get to decide what our identities are and what our relationships are. And so when I'm working with people that are discovering their identity, I, you know, sometimes people want reading and they want my input or, you know, they want education. And I, of course, will provide what I can, <clears throat> excuse me. But I always try to tell people like, listen, you know, take what works for you and throw out the rest because you know, just because someone is an expert or has published or written books or, you know, is telling you what they think is best for you, really, you get to decide what's best for you. Again, as long as everybody involved is on board, is consenting, ideally enthusiastically consenting, and, you know, um, has you talk about it, uh, really, it's about figuring out what you want. And so, uh, you know, there, there are norms in any community, in small community, in the poly community, in the queer community, there, there end up being norms and those can be, those can be constraining and those can also be stigmatizing from within the community. Like if, you know, you have um, uh, rigidity in terms of identity, even in the small communities. And so I like to just encourage people to really, um, make it their own story and decide what they want it to look like and not do it because your friends are doing it because like people who have been doing this forever said, Oh no, this is the right way to be poly. Um, you know, do it the way you want to do it, you know, do it the way that you want to do it, do it, do it the way that feels right to you. And it, that goes back to one of my favorite, uh, one of the closest dearest things to my heart, which is authenticity. And, uh, you know, I would, add a little caveat, do it the way that you want to do it, but also be ethical, right? You know, don't yeah. hurt people in the process, you know, don't lie, cheat or steal, um, et cetera, and so on. So, so just with that little added caveat, caveat, uh, for me, but, Always, um, yeah. cool. Um, one last question and then, uh, and then, and then just an, a little blurb for you. Uh, are there any, 
resources, any favorite um, books or podcasts or anything like that, websites, whatever, uh, where you feel people can get uh, some good support and, and good information? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. This is this is a great podcast, obviously. So you're you're focusing specifically on Polly, which is awesome. Um, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, I read some academic book. I, I really love uh, if I can plug a colleague of mine, Dr. Ellie or Elizabeth Sheff, S-H-E-F-F. She has published a lot of books on, and you you probably already know. I'm like, I just love her writing so accessible and like the way that she talks about things. Uh, I think is really awesome. So that's the that's the first person that comes to mind, honestly. Cool. Yeah. Um, she was actually on the show a few weeks ago. So yeah, she's so great. Um, she's awesome. She's awesome. All right. Uh, the last thing, then, uh, Dr. Dulcine, Dulcinea, uh, I want to give you an opportunity. Uh, if somebody wanted to work with you, if somebody wanted to uh, get help from you, connect with you. Um, What's the best way that they can do that? Uh, let's see. I can see that you have my website floating by. Um, I can be contacted through there. Um, honestly, like I, I am full now. I, I'm not taking on any new clients. It's been an extremely busy. In fact, I'm overbooked. So um, I, I supervise a team of really good therapists. Um, and but I do, I do see people on a drop-in basis when I have cancellations or openings. So I can, I can see people like that. I have a waiting list, unfortunately, right now. But um, if I have a drop-in, um, I can, you know, I can see people for that. Perfect. And that website, uh, you know, it. I'm just going to spell it out here for everybody, uh, for the listening audience. It is D U L C I N E A. P-I-T-A-G-O-R-A dot com. Dulcinea Pitagora dot com. Um, and also uh, they can find you on Instagram at Kink Doctor. Anywhere else? Um, where they I'm, should follow? I'm on, you know, I, I haven't been on social media a lot uh, in the last year or so. But yeah, I have Instagram and Twitter and um, on Facebook and I'll sometimes post articles and stuff like that. So I can be followed in those places for sure. Very cool. All righty. Well, thank you again for your time. I really do appreciate it. Uh, and um, yeah, really just, this was, this was really cool, really fun conversation. Thank on you this for special doing this podcast. It's, um, it's, it's really important. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And thank you also, as always, to our live audience for tuning in today. As a reminder, when we're live, you get no commercial interruptions, but the same cannot be said for those podcast downloads. So if you want to avoid the commercial interruptions, be sure to subscribe on YouTube, Facebook, all this good stuff. Um, so you can catch us Monday through Wednesday or the special, you know, Friday episodes that happen every once in a while, or just sign up for our Patreon where you'll get access to our commercial-free RSS feed. Support the show. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, wherever it is that you download your podcast. And if you haven't already, please leave us a review. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you again, Dr. Dulcinea. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right. And for everybody else, have a great Friday. Have, have a nice day. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash practicingpolya.